0: We're going to avoiding anxiety through prayer. And um, we looked at Matthew chapter six. That's the key passage that Jesus speaks about uh, anxiety and worrying through. And now we're looking at Philippians chapter four, and this is Paul's uh, great teaching as far as worry is concerned, right Now, worry is very common and very easy for us to get into, and very easy to distract us from the things that God would have us to do. It's very easy for us to get anxious and get worried, and um, those things begin get in our way, and it's something that all of us have to battle with. Everybody in this room has something tonight they could be worried about. Everybody in this room has something, and we've we, we got to make the choice to actually see it from God's perspective if we're going to have victory over it and we're going to win, and we need to win in this one. This is one of those things that we need to win on. We can't just give up on, right? Okay, so Philippians chapter 4, i um, want to start at verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So when are you supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Always. always. All right? Now, that's not humanly possible, but it is spiritually possible that you can rejoice in the Lord. Now, does it say you can rejoice in your circumstances? No, it says you rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes the circumstances will bring a tear to your eye, but you can always rejoice in the Lord. Right? Um, <clears throat> Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, if we keep that one in our minds always, God is at hand. You know, it's kind of hard for us to keep them in our minds because uh, we easily forget in the cut and the thrust of the reality of life. No, He's at hand. He's there. He's never far away. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. He's at hand. He's always there. He's always involved. Kind of like the disciples in the boat that night uh, when Jesus was asleep, they really forgot that the Lord was at hand. He was asleep, so he wasn't there, so they didn't expect he could do anything for them. But the Lord is at hand. Right? The Lord is at hand. And always, keep keep that in your mind, keep that in your heart, always that the Lord is at hand. Uh, Be careful... Okay, that's our worried marimau. Somebody said uh, the idea there is uh, it sounds like marinate, and that's what we actually do with worry. We marinate ourselves in it. You know, you marinate something, you take a piece of chicken or a piece of meat, and you put it uh, in the sauce, and you you try and leave it in it for a long time, maybe overnight, and soak it into it. And isn't that what we do with worry? We soak in the worry. Now, and, you know... what you've got to do is you've got to, in order to have victory, you've got to call that sin. You've got to recognize that's wrong, that that's sin. And you've got to move on from that. Stop marinating uh, in the worry, right? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, right? The idea there is, uh, instead of worrying, I'm supposed to pray, but it's a particular kind of prayer. It's prayer with thanksgiving. Now, Giving God thanks when I'm in trouble and have something worry to worry about is definitely not my nature. Right? It's not your nature either. You know, We're looking at the commands of Scripture and we're, we're, we're looking at things where we're being told to do things that just go against the grain. Now, here's the thing. If we will actually go with it, we're going to find victory. And if we fight it, we're not going to find victory. And so we need to go with a gra- against the grain and we need to pray with supp- <clears throat> prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Right? Now, be careful for nothing and the peace of God. See a contradiction there? Aren't they opposites? Aren't peace and worry kind of opposites? Isn't, isn't is it worry like a churning sea? Within you, where you know, you're worried about this, and oh, man, this happens. Oh, that happens. And, you know, you, and everything gets churned up inside you. And God says, no, there's peace to replace the worry. There's peace that can step in and replace your worry and change it and the peace of God shall be keep it's going to be an umpire in your heart it's going to actually you know take care of you there's going to be peace that overrides the worry now god doesn't use words flippantly and for no reason if he gives you a word he means it he means you, instead of worrying you can have peace instead of worrying you can have peace and you know what we really need to get off the level of christianity where it's just the normal natural what I can do. If Christianity is not supernatural, enabling me to do things that are impossible, it's not really Christianity. You have to think about it. you know, We accept the supernatural element of saving our souls, but when it comes to our daily lives, and we'll even accept the supernatural element of the Bible, you know, where God does this and God does that and it's wonderful, but when it comes to me actually applying truth. I, thought, oh, I can't do that. I, you don't understand. I couldn't do that. That's impossible for me. I know it's impossible for you, but, 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 but it's impossible for me. No, no, no. Hang on a minute. If God says do it, then there's power available for you to do it, and you can have peace instead of worry. You can have uh, <clears throat> complete change as far as that's concerned. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, there you go again, the supernatural element, that passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both heard, learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. All right, so God, <clears throat> what God does is God helps us here, right? He tells us not to worry. I'm just so glad that he doesn't stop um, with the, the first part of verse 6. Don't worry. I'm just so glad that he doesn't do that. I, because that'd be no help to you at all. That'd just be another burden for you to bear. But he tells you not to worry, and then he tells you what to do. How to change it, how to turn it around. He says, don't worry, but pray right. right? What kind of prayer is, is right praying when it comes to worry? On my own, under <laughs> what well, kind of prayer with Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving prayer. Prayer with Thanksgiving is the right kind of prayer. Now, what am I thanking God for? When? everything. everything. What, about, what about when it comes to my worrying, though? What am I? What am I praying about? The problem, aren't I? I'm praying about the problem. The problem is making me worry. That's, that's what I'm praying about. So, what am I giving thanks for? Okay, well, what am I giving? I'm giving thanks for the problem. Why? Why would I give thanks for a problem that I don't want in my life? Okay, there's a reason for it. We 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 talked about this as because I'm giving it to him because he's involved. He's at hand. It didn't happen. Do you understand that? That one simple truth transforms you from being a victim to being a victor. If you can come to know God is at hand. God has actually put this in my life. And you know what? He's, he loves me way too much just to put it in my life to hurt me. If he's put it in my life, he's got a reason for it. Right? <clears throat> you know, I've got to come to the place where the Lord is at hand becomes, becomes my first port of call. He's in this. If, ever, if I ever have to face a problem on my own, Where is God? Is there a God? I never will have to fail. Because he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now we talked about this. What about when you're the cause of the problem? Listen, you usually are, aren't you? (laughs) It's the reality. At some level, you usually are the cause of the problem. And you see, here in our meritorious thinking, meritorious means, I'm a good guy, I do good, and therefore God loves me. Right? Now you're not a good guy, you don't do good, but God does love you. Uh, and uh, in our meritorious thinking, you see, we, we think, well, you know what? If it's just something that happens in my life, then God would be in that and he would help me. But if I caused it, I'd be on my own. Don't we think that? Don't we sometimes think that we sometimes think? You know, listen. If I cause the problem, then you know, on my own, I got to sink or swim. I do it myself. And and we, we sometimes tackle the problem on oh, no, our own because it's my fault. It's my problem. Listen, most of the problems in your life, at some level, are your own fault. And God doesn't just cast you off. Remember, I was reading this thing yesterday. Remember the the the, the disciples. They <clears> they <throat> they they're, they're, they're traveling with Jesus, and Jesus says, "Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees." And the guys all go, oh, good night, we forgot the bread. We forgot the bread. Now, he's just fed 5,000 people. Now, he's just fed 5,000 people out of almost nothing. And they're going, oh, no, we forgot the bread. Now, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't, doesn't say to them, I'm not talking about bread, guys. I'm talking about the Pharisees and their doctrine. He says to them, guys, don't you remember? I just fed 5,000 people. Don't you understand? There's no problem with you not bringing bread. I'll feed you. It'll be okay. I'll take care of you. He doesn't actually kind of, we we kind of expect him to nail us when we get it wrong. If he nailed us when we get it wrong, we'd firmly be nailed to the floor, wouldn't we? He doesn't do that. What he does is he helps us. We've got to invite him into the situation, but here's what he won't do. He won't barge into your situation. Right, so you got a problem. Things are not going right. You've got this difficulty in your life that you've created. And so you say, okay, well, it was my fault. I've got to fix this. And you go off trying to fix it yourself. God sits waiting for you to invite him into your situation. He sits waiting for you to say, hang on, the Lord is at hand. Lord, you're with me here, aren't you? Lord, I shouldn't have done that. I'm wrong. That was wrong. Lord, help me, though, will you? You see, we have some strange things that go on in our heads. right? When it comes to confession... Like, if we confess our sins, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When? When does he cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Six weeks probation. It, isn't that what we think sometimes, though, isn't it? Isn't that what we think? When, when, when I get my act together, he'll probably fulfill his end of it and forgive me. Right? No, Instant. If I confess, if I come down on God's side of it, I recognize I was wrong, I shouldn't have done it, Lord, please forgive me. And confess my wrong to Him. He instantly cleanses me from it. Right? Okay, now. If God cleanses you, does He leave a stain that has to be worked out over weeks? Do you ever have that? Do you ever have a stain in your clothes and went through the wash the first time and didn't come out? And so it has to go back in the wash again. Don't we sometimes feel it's like that? God's cleansing is like that. It takes a while for him to get over the fact that I did something so stupid. Now, when he says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he means it. It's now. It's done. It's dusted. It's dealt with. Okay, now, we'll say I do something stupid today, and before the service tonight, I confessed it to God and got it right. Okay? Well, we'll say after the service, I confess it again. What does God say? dealt with that's gone there's nothing to deal with Dave it's done it's over it's dealt with right so here's the thing when I get it wrong and I do and when you get it wrong and you do don't put God out of your situation don't go become the lone ranger because you're the one that got it wrong you bring God into the situation you make it right he's there he will always be there And he doesn't scold you and go after you and make it hard for you. He will help you. But you've got to reckon reckon on the reality of him being there. So um, if he's there in the situation, I'm not a victim. And he did it for good, so I can thank him for it. Even though I may not like it. I can thank him for it. Now, what does it take for me to thank him for something I don't like in my life? What does it take? What what has to be? What do I have to do? Faith. I don't feel at that point, do I? I don't feel. Oh, this is a great problem, (laughs) man! I love problems, you know. Just this is just great, you know. Uh, My car just got banged or something, and you know, I think it's a great problem. I'm happy with this problem. I don't feel that. You know, somebody got sick. I don't feel. But he does tell me. And so, by faith, trusting. well oh, by the way, define faith for me here. Somebody, somebody, put your hand, put your hand on it. Don't 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 just blurt it out. Somebody, define faith for me here, right? Okay, the substance of things that you can't see. Okay, anyone take us deeper than that? Because trusting. trusting, right? Okay, that's confidence that God is working in your life for good. That's pretty simple, pretty good, pretty basic faith. And without faith, nothing going on between me and God. right? He that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of him that diligently seeks, seeks him. So God is expecting me to have confidence that he is working in the situation for my good. Right? So you got a problem in your life. Right? <clears throat> you have a brand- new car, and um, you're leaving church on a Wednesday night, and there's new poles put up that you didn't see, and your brand- new car, you just wreck the side of your brand- new car. Now look, I'm not wishing it on you, OK. I know that'll be a bad day. I will cry with you if that happens to you, okay? All right? <clears throat> but you know, what do you do then? Do you just get frustrated, bent out of shape? Call yourself a fool? blame somebody else? Blame the stupid <clears throat> men that put those, put those uh, poles up there. No, what do you do? The quicker you can get to the place where you say, Lord, nothing happens in my life by accident. And Lord, you let this into my life, so Lord, thank you. The quicker you can get to that place, the quicker you can get to the place of peace in the situation. Because he wants you not to worry but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that your requests be made known unto God. The quicker you can get there. George. Do you think that if you were in town with a Torah, you lost a Torah, right? Okay. Do not think that if you were in town with a Torah, have faith? Okay, all right, all right. No, I know. No. Um, no. No, 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 no. You and having faith. By the way, having faith is an active thing. Remember that. Faith is an active thing. Faith is something I'm actually doing. What God would have me to do. But right now, so say so, so, so we lose a child in town, right? Okay, I lose a child in town, and so I go into a panic, and I go running this way, and I go run that way, I go run that way, and the other way. Now, is that going to help me? Man. Okay, now, <clears throat> what about if you were to actually say, Lord, my child's gone missing, help me, Lord. Right? You, don't, you don't have to spend a half an hour in a prayer meeting to do that. Do you think you might actually be more effective? By the way, how many of you have done that kind of thing, where something bad happened and, 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 you, and you actually caught yourself early and you actually talked to the Lord about it? Does God know where your child is? I hope so, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> of course, He does. Well, no, no, I do. I do understand what you're saying. Yeah? I, 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 and we grow in faith as time goes by. But it is possible, and it is real at that point, to bring God into the situation. The earlier you bring God into the situation, the better it is for you. And you you'll find that that where the what, what happens is you don't bring God into the situation you go running off one direction uh, with your heart in your mouth, you go running the other direction with your heart in your mouth you're you're exhausted, you're wrecked, you're ruined, and somebody says, "Is this the charge you were looking for <laughs> you know so what you've got to do is you've got to remember to bring God into your situation Aiden. Well, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good, good, good question, right? Um, so your child is missing. Are you just going to be happily going along? It's a happy day. The child is missing? No. I mean, there's going to be stress for you there, right? Now, is stress always bad? Sometimes you need a bit of stress. Sometimes stress kind of hones you and sharpens you. You know, if you're a musician and you're going to play in a concert before before the curtain goes up, you're not going to be there. Ah, oh, it's easy. Oh, look, the curtain's going up. You know, you're know, you going to be there like a, like, like a runner on the blocks, ready to go. You're, there's an am- amount of stress there for you. So stress is something that comes into our lives that helps us to act, helps us to go after the child and find the child, right? So if you're going to say to me, should I have stress in that situation? Well, yeah, you, you should have some stress in that situation, yeah? Now, worrying about it, though, oh, no, this, oh, no, that. If you do worry about it at that point, you're going to be terribly ineffective in actually deciding what needs to, what, need, what you need to do. We'll talk about it in a minute. But, you know, people say that worrying is just thinking. It's overthinking. It's not. It's thinking about the wrong things. Worrying is thinking, and it drains you of the energy you need to do what you've got to do, right? So, a good question, George. But <clears throat> now you bring God into the situation anyway. Lord, I need you to help me here. And the, the, the quicker you can learn to do that, and by the way, you don't do that naturally. You don't get saved and all of a sudden you're thanking God and inviting God into every situation in your life. That doesn't happen naturally. That grows uh, <clears throat> as your faith in him grows and as you begin to think right, <clears throat> in the situation. You know, as you begin to think, oh, Lord, I need you in this situation. And, 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 and think about it. Well, say you go in and you get told you have cancer, right? Dreadful news. Well, what you can do is you can spend six weeks in a tailspin, can't you? And, you know, worrying about the fact you have cancer and the fact that you're going to... It doesn't, it doesn't change the cancer, probably, to be honest with you. It probably just makes it worse because it makes your health worse, right? But if you can say, okay, okay I've got cancer. God knows I have I ca- have cancer. He's in charge. It's going to be okay, Lord. I don't understand this. I don't like this. But you're involved in it. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. And you turn a corner at that point in your life. You turn a corner at that point in your life when you accept that not only is he in my situation, but he is doing good in my situation. Okay? Now, not an easy place to come to. Right? But the place you need to come to. All right, let's look at our sheets here. Because we kind of touched off this, right? Um, Number one last week was react to the problems with thankful prayer. So whatever problem comes into my life, I'm going to react with thankful prayer. Why am I thankful? Because God's in it. God's in it, and though it may look bad, though it may feel bad, though it may make me cry, the fact that God is in it means I can thank him for it. And you see, isn't that a quantum leap from the place where you, where you just dissolve because life is happening to you and you're a victim? No, 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 no. God, God's involved in it. Second thing is, every problem I face is within God's purpose for me. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 tells us that he will not suffer to me, me to be tempted above that which I am able Okay, so you've got a problem in your life tonight. You say, I can't bear it. It's too, much. It's too hard. I just can't bear this thing. <clears throat> Why did you let this happen? God says, I checked that out before I sent it to you. You are well able for it. I wouldn't have let you have it if you weren't well able for it. Right? <clears throat> and it doesn't matter how much you tell God you're not able for it. He knows what you're able for. He knows better than you, right? <clears throat> Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Right? Um, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. Somebody read it for us there. Or I'll butcher it. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Right. So what does God do Uh, with your suffering. What does that tell you? First of all, it's a limited time, isn't it? There's always a limit on it. Just thinking today, you know, the cross was horrific and horrible and dreadful. But it was a few hours and it was over. God limited it. The troubles in your life, God puts a limit on too. He puts a limit. You know, he, 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 he stretches you. He lets you suffer for a while, but he puts a limit on it. Um, And then what what does he do? Uh, He makes you perfect, establishes, strengthens, settles you. He uses it to strengthen you. Right? So three thoughts that that we're going to use as a grid we said last week. First of all, he wouldn't let it happen to me if I wasn't able for it. Secondly, he is going to use it for good in my life. And the third thing is that, you know, listen, he is going to use it to establish and strengthen me, he's going to make me better from it. Now, that's not just something we read in the Bible on a Wednesday night in church and go, yeah, that's kind of nice. That's the grid we have to look at life through. We have to come to the place where we look at life through this grid. No, he wouldn't let me be hurt for no reason. He's, he brought something into my life that I am able for. Okay? Uh, he will use it for good. And he will use it to strengthen me. Now, if I can get my head around those things, it changes what's happening in my life. But I got I to think those things. I, the, those things won't just kind of, you know, fall on me when I'm in trouble. I got to think those things. I got to learn to think those things, right? Okay, then knowing God's promises will help you to be thankful as well. All right, now here's where we go, where we begin to look at verses, right? Alina, can I get you to find for us? Everybody look them up. Philippians four nineteen. Philippians 4, verse 19. Yeah, When you're ready. Okay. So, how much of your needs is God going to supply? Now, now is that is that always? <laughs> no. <laughs> Does, <laughs> okay. Does God always supply your needs? Somebody over here says no. He doesn't always supply your needs, right? Okay. Now let's think. Let's think about it, right? Does God promise us that? Let's look at Matthew six thirty three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Is there a condition on it? What's the condition? Seek him. Seek him first, right? Is the promise then valid for me anytime, anywhere, for the rest of my life, as long as I'm seeking him first? Yeah. Right. So if I wake up in the morning and there's something I genuinely need, i.e. food. Right? And and it's not there. By the way, I could probably last quite a while without food, right? But if there's something <clears throat> there that, that I haven't got that I desperately need, right? And God hasn't supplied it. Has God failed in the promise? Right? Now, you've had this happening and I've had this happen after the Lord. I need this. I need you to do this, Lord. Lord, you've got to do this. Lord, please do this. Lord, this is what I need. Lord, Lord, would you just do this? Uh, <clears throat> Lord, I absolutely need... Lord, if you don't do this, I'm going to die. All right? And um, you wake up in the morning and it's not there. Now, what's the problem? Ah, God discerns between what we need and what we want. Okay? Now, do you understand that? That what you think you need, you do not always need. And in fact, sometimes what you think you need would do you damage. And God won't do it. Remember, what's God looking at? God's looking at eternity. You're looking at now. I want it fixed now. I want to be happy now. I want my problem taken away right now. I want to feel good right now. God, come to the party and make me feel good right now. And God says, listen, I'm trying to make you feel good a million years from now. Uh, I'm not going to give in to you now, you know, <clears throat> if when it's going to damage you long term. So he says, no, but he's, but he's always got your good at heart. always. Right? My God shall supply all your need. I will never have a need that my heavenly Father does not supply. Never. He's my God. I will never have a need that he does not supply. Is't that great? Don't the promises really help? <clears throat> okay, next promise. And you know, you guess you're not—you're not looking as helpful. as I wanted you to look. All right. Um, what about Psalm one thirty-nine verse three? Vincent, you looked at it for Psalm one thirty-nine verse three? Okay, so God compasses your path. What does it mean to compass? He compasses your path and you're lying down. So where is God when you're lying down? Where? Around you. Okay, is that, now is that right? You had to lie down today. Or you went to bed last night. Where was God? God was compassing you. He knew you where you were. He knew what was going on. He compassed your path. He's, he's there all the time. He knows you're there, right? He's acquainted. Is that the wording? Acquainted with your ways or what is it? Acquainted with all my ways. Now, what does that mean? Okay, he knows all your ways. He knows everything that happened to you today. He knows the stuff that happened to you that nobody else knows. God knows. He's acquainted with all your ways. He knows what's going on in your life. Right? Nothing happens in your life and God goes, Oh, no. Oh, isn't that dreadful? I remember reading about somebody who was praying and they were saying, Lord, if you were reading the papers, you'll know. I mean, isn't that ridiculous, isn't it? God doesn't read the papers. He knew He knew uh, before it ever happened that it was going to happen. God knows everything in your life. He knows all the details. He knows all the problems. He knows all the issues. He knows the stuff that you don't know. Right? He's acquainted with everything in your life. All right. Um, Romans 8.29, Gerard. Sure. Okay, so what's he doing? And he's said, by the way, here is the problem for us with worry. Okay? Core problem here, right? Whom he did for know, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What's God's plan for your life and for my life? He's working, to what what were we going to say? Like to make me, he's working to make me like Jesus. That's his plan. That's, that's his goal. He's looking at my life and he's saying, hmm, yeah, that doesn't look much like Jesus. I think, you know, I'm going to have to do some work there. Hmm, yeah, and that, and you know what? That's got to go. And, you know, he needs, something, he needs something built on in that place there. You know, he doesn't look well. He's, he's got a plan to conform me to the image of Jesus. Right? Now, what have I got a plan for, basically? What have I got a plan for and you've got a plan for? I just want to be happy. <laughs> I just want life to go well. I just want, you know, no problems, nice, easy life. That's what I want. And I, can you see a problem there? Can you see a problem where, where the master wants to make me like Jesus and I just want to be have a good life, have a happy life? Right? <clears throat> yeah. And that's, that's where our problem comes. That's why we worry, because we worry, you know. Okay, I know he's got a good plan for my life, and I know he's trying to make me like, like Jesus, but you know what? I don't want that right now. I want to be happy right now. Okay? <clears throat> and I, Oftentimes, you and I would happily give up what God is doing just to be happy. And you know what God says? God says, no way. We're going to do this thing. We're going to stay focused. We're going to make you like Jesus. And um, when I cooperate with him, two things happen. First of all, it's a whole lot easier for him to do it. And secondly, it's a whole lot less painful. When I give in and cooperate with God, it's a lot less painful for me the work he has to do to make me like Jesus. When I fight him, it doesn't stop him. You know, God doesn't... God does not spare for your crying in the sense that he looks in and he says, oh, you know what, I better, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, he's not going to like me if I keep doing these things to him. He doesn't spare like that. He just, he just does what's right for you anyway. You know, And uh, but if I give in, if I yield to him, if I let him have his way in my life, it's a whole lot easier for me. I, and you know what? That makes it. I want a happy life. You know, a happy life ends up for a Christian being one where I yield to God because you know what? He's in charge, right? Shall the shall the potter shall the clay say to the potter? What are you doing? Doesn't does it? No, the potter takes the clay and he does whatever he likes with the clay. That's his prerogative. Right? God is the potter. You are the clay. Now. What you've got is you've got the fact that he loves you, that he knows what's best, and that he has the power to do it all wrapped into that. But he's going to do what's best, not what you demand. We worry when we won't get on board with the fact that now he's doing a good thing here. He's making me like Jesus. By the way, do you think any of us, a hundred years after we die, are going to be saying, yeah, well, that's a Jared life. You know, I, I know I'm in heaven now, and I, I know I've got blessing now, but my life was so hard. Do you think we'll be doing that? Not a, not a chance. You know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be saying, God, thank you. Thank you for all that you did. Thank you for making me like Jesus. Thank you for putting me through the things you put me through. And there's nothing happening in your life that's not going to be like that. Then. In fact, it won't take 100 years. Five minutes after you, after you stand before the Savior, you'll be thanking him for all the things that he's done in your life, the things you don't like today, because he's got the long-term view. He's got the long-range view of it. Um, <clears throat> Philippians 1.6. Okay, now what does that mean? I'm to be confident of what? One thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you. Now let me ask you a question. This is a deep theological question for you, right? Okay? You got saved, right? Did you get saved because at some point you decided, you know what? I need God in my life. I I, I need God in my life and I'm going to have to find God because I need God in my life. Or did you got saved because God came knocking on your door and drew you to himself? Who begun the work? You or God? God. God begun the work. You say, no, hang on a minute. I was searching for God. Why were you searching for God? Because he was searching for you. He was stirring you. The work always begins in God. I like, said, so he that hath begun a good work in you Right, so he begun it. By the way, that's important to us, right? It's not dependent upon me. I am not saved because you know what? I got myself saved and I'm keeping myself saved. I am saved because he went after me, he saved me, and he's keeping me saved. Right? Okay, but he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Does that sound like a promise? He won't quit. He won't give up. He started something good the day he saved me and he's not going to quit. He's not going to come to the place where he says, oh, oh, on I'm sick and tired of you. You've just, you've, just, you, you know, you've just messed up for the last time. I'm fed up with you. He never does that. He's going to continue doing it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now understand this. You know, I will make great progress when I'm cooperating with him and letting him do what he wants to do because he knows best. The pro- the progress is going to be slow and painful when I fight him, but when I whenever I yield to him and let him do what he's going to do, you know what? He's he's doing good things now. <clears throat> see, we, we can ask every one of you here in this room tonight: has God done some good in your life since you've been saved? And you know, it doesn't matter whether you're saved a year or twenty five years. You say, yeah, he has actually done some good stuff. Look, he did he did this. See, he's begun a good work in you, and he's going to perform it. Now, it's a good work. It's a good work. Never does God do a work in your life and say, Oh, man, I messed up there, didn't I? He's God. It's always a good work. Whatever he's doing is always good. You're the variable in the situation, whether you're going to cooperate or whether you're going to fight him. And you see, we cooperate when we yield to him, and recognize he knows best. I want what he has for me. When I heal like that, <clears throat> it works out good. Okay, Psalm 147, verse 5. Can you? Psalm 147, verse 5. Okay, Psalm 147, verse 5. <clears throat> How much does he understand? How much does he understand of your life? Now listen, don't you sometimes think you understand more about your life than he does? Don't you? Don't you sometimes think, why are you not doing this, God? I I asked you to do this. Don't you know this is a big problem for me? Don't you know I need this? What are we saying? We're saying, God, get on the ball. You don't understand what's going on. Now, how much does he understand about your life? Everything. Infinite, the verse says. He is infinite in understanding. There's nothing, absolutely nothing in my life that God doesn't understand. He understands all of it. He understands what's going on right now. He understands what's happened in my life in the past to bring me to the place where what's going on right now is going on. And he understands the impact of all the options on my future. He knows what's going to happen to me if he gives me what I'm looking for. He knows. And he knows. Now, this, 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 this is where you, where you kind of go into the, um, <clears throat> into the spooky area. God knows the impact of giving to me today what I want on my great-great-grandchildren. I don't even know their names. I may never see them. But God knows what he's doing in my life today will have an impact on them, and he's got all of it worked out. His understanding is infinite. So when he makes a decision... He's not operating with half the information like we are. He's not operating on our felt needs. I have to have this. He's operating on infinite wisdom. So when he's doing something, he's doing something infinitely better than I could. But what do we do? So often we get in his way, and we get in his face, we say, but I want it. Now, by the way, be careful of telling God <clears throat> that you want it because God won't give up on you. But you know what God will do sometimes? If you push him hard enough, sometimes he'll give you what you're looking for. Hmm. Okay. All right, you learn a lesson here, so you, you want it? It's not the best thing. I was giving it to you if it's the best thing, but not the best thing. Okay, you want it? Okay, here it is. Have it and you then get to find out it's not the best thing. But oftentimes you're stuck with it, aren't you? Because you pushed him, and finally to teach you a lesson, he said, okay. Now even in that, all things work together, he'll take and use that for good in your life, but you can push God, and God can give you what's not good for you because you're pushing hard. And he doesn't give it to you because he can't resist you, he gives it to you because, okay, this will be good for you, you learn this. You learn a lesson from this. So be careful. Don't do that one. Don't, don't push God and make God give something. When God says no to you, I, I have learned this by experience, right? When God says no, it's actually just as sweet as when he says yes. Now, obviously when I'm asking him for something, I want it. But no is actually the best thing when he says no. And again and again, I've seen him. i asked him for things. He hasn't given them. I felt bad. And again and again, I've seen, I'm so glad he didn't give me that. i got a list of things in my life that I'm so glad he didn't do because they would have been wrong, the wrong thing. When God says no to you, it's the best thing. Right? You need to get over your self-will and actually say, okay, Lord, you know best. Some of the things he says no to you are very hard. Some of the things you won't understand. But you know what? When he says no, it's the best thing. All right? Okay, so if we get the promises into our hearts, we'll understand better what God is doing, and it will help us. Now, I want you to go to the book of Jonah here for a second, all right? Book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah is one of the minor prophets. Joel, Amos, Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Now, <clears throat> chapter 1, Jonah gets swallowed by the great fish because he won't do what God wants him to do, right? Okay, does God have great fishes in the, in the 21st century? Yeah, they may not have scales on them and they may not swim in the sea, but you know what? God's got gray fishes. Right? <clears throat> Jonah got swallowed by a gray fish because he wouldn't do what he was told and um, God wanted him to do it, right? Now, so Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the, of, of the gray fish. That's a long time. That's a long, it's particularly a long time for somebody who obviously knew how to get out of it. I think Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, and he was saying, okay, you might as well kill me because I'm not doing it. And you know what he found out? He found out, not only was he not able to do his own thing and, and, and go his own way, but he wasn't even able to die if God didn't let him. You know, by the way, don't, don't we sometimes think God's, God's not got as much power as we think he has? God's got all the power. <laughs> Is it possible for a man to live in the belly of a fish? Yes, if God wants him to. How long could he have lived? Indefinitely. (laughs) He could have lived indefinitely. Why? Because God was keeping him alive. Okay, now, Jonah chapter 2. Then, after three days and three nights, Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Sometimes we don't cry until we're afflicted. I cried by by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I. Now, this was a hell of his own making. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Now, Jonah's a good prophet. Jonah knows God. Whose billows? Thy, God's billows. Um, whose waves? Thy waves. Jonah knows what's going on here. He is in the belly of the great fish. The waves, God's waves, are beating on him. Uh, the, billows are, God's, the billows are beating on him. Then I said, "I am cast out of thy sight; yet I will look again towards thy holy temple." The waters compassed me about, even to the soul; the the depth closed me round about, and the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of of the mountains; the earth with her bars was about me for ever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. What has Jonah just done? He spent three days and three nights that were merciless. He walked away from mercy. See, there was mercy for for Jonah in Nineveh. He could have gone to Nineveh. He was terrified in Nineveh. He went to Nineveh. He was terrified they were going to kill him uh, or, or, or worse. But there was mercy. There was no mercy for him in the belly of the fish. He walked away from his home and he recognizes it. You have to hand it to him. He recognizes it. It takes his time, but he recognizes Isaac. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now. <clears throat> Isn't this one of those great stories where God is absolutely in charge? And you see it. Here's the problem for us. We don't often consider that God is as absolutely in charge of my life as he was in charge of Jonah's life. Did, did, did you get that? We think, well, Jonah was a prophet, you know what I mean? And Jonah's in the, in the Bible, so God needed to get a good story here for the Bible, so that's why he did what he was doing with Jonah. But me, I'm just one of the seven billion people on this planet. He probably doesn't even know my name. No, the very hairs of your head are numbered. That's intimate. I don't know how many hairs are on your head. I don't know how many hairs are on my head. I probably will never will. God does. God knows me more intimately than I actually know myself, and he knows you more intimately than you know yourself. God is that involved in your life. And Jonah says, you know, when I walked away to do my own thing, I observed lying vanities, and I walked away from mercy. You see, that's when it gets hard for us. What was God doing in Jonah's life and sending him to Nineveh? What's he doing? Same things he's doing in your life. He was making him like Christ. He said, But didn't he want to preach to the people of Nineveh? Yeah, he did. But you know what? God's never working on one thing at a time. You know, he'd be using you to do something and working on you at the same time. That's what he does. So God's making making Jonah um, like Christ. And Jonah says, No. (laughs) No. Not that. Nineveh. No way. Those are mean people. I am not going to Nineveh. That is a bad place. They are mean people. There's no way you're getting me there, God. So what does God do? Does God run down the beach, grab Jonah, drag him off the boat and drag him to Nineveh by the ear and say, you will go? No. You see, God never forces us against our will. God will not force Jonah to do it. You say, but he did in the end. No, he didn't. He just left him in the belly of the great fish till Jonah decided. Nineveh was better than the belly of the great fish. That's what God does in your life. God wants you to decide to yield to him, and he'll wait for you. He'll wait for you forever. God waits for you to decide to give in to him and do it his way. Now, <clears throat> We're not going to read the rest of the story here as far as Jonah's concerned, but Jonah does go to Nineveh, and Jonah does preach the gospel, and revival happens. Do you know the hardest time time Jonah had on his preaching trip was when he wasn't on his preaching trip? you know the hardest time you're going to have in your life when you won't do what God wants you to do? That's always going to be the hardest time. It's not that God's not there, not that God doesn't know. I mean, God was keeping Jonah alive inside the belly of the fish. God was intimately involved in the life of Jonah in the belly of the fish. He didn't forget him. He didn't didn't just leave him to himself. If If God had forgotten about him, he'd have died. God was intimately involved in Jonah's life. He just wasn't going to give in to Jonah. And he wasn't going to force Jonah. So he waited three days and three nights for Jonah to turn around. He's waiting on you and I sometimes too, isn't he? He's waiting on us to turn around, to get us straightened out, to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And you know, what we're talking about when we're talking about not worrying, and we're going to pause there and come back to it next week. What we're talking about when we're talking about not worrying is this. We're talking about us coming to the place where we give in early. Where we de-stress the situation by giving in early. Where we de-stress the situation by saying, okay, God, you're here. You brought this about. You know best. Lord, help me. And then the situation changes. What did Jonah need to say? Okay, oh my goodness, Nineveh? I really don't like Ni- Nineveh. Okay, Lord, you're here. You know best. I'm going to go. Lord, help me. And he could have avoided the fish's belly. Right? <laughs> but he didn't, and he ended up in the fish's belly. What did he do in the fish's belly? Okay, Lord, you're here. You're billows. You're waves. This is miserable, Lord. I hate this. This is awful. This is dreadful, Lord. I feel like I'm in hell. Uh, I've got seaweed and everything else. I'm going up and down uh, inside this guy's gut. Lord, I've walked away from you. I'm doing my own thing. Please forgive me. I surrender. I yield, okay? Off you go to Nina, Pajona. And he found it was much better than he thought it was going to be. Right? We've got to get this one. God is in my situation always. It's never happening. God is in my situation always. He's a good God with a good plan. So therefore what he's doing is good. He loves me. He wouldn't hurt me for the fun of it. Never would he hurt me for the fun of it. Never. Never would God do that. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Can't be separated. He never stops loving me. he's got a good plan, he loves me, and he knows what's best. And he's able to do it. You know what? When I get in that place where I say, okay, okay, Lord, this is not what I wanted, Lord. But you know what? I don't know what's best you do. Lord, help me. You know what? I'm in different territory altogether. It's a much easier place to live. Much easier world to live in. I don't have to worry, because you know what? My God's got it in his hands. He's got it in his hands. He's working it out, so I'm okay. All right, let's pray, and we'll come back to it next week. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your people. Thank you, Lord, for hearts that are willing to listen and hear. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God. Oh, it's one thing for us to hear this in church, and it's another thing for us to live it tomorrow. Would you help us, Lord, to reckon on your hand and your power in our lives in every situation in Jesus' name, amen.